Hi, John. How are you today? Hi, Elliot. Uh, doing well. I think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, uh, unfortunately, the 145th mass shooting this year at a bank in Louisville. I know, obviously, the media has been covering it extensively. And uh, beyond sad, obviously, we had Nashville a bit ago. But these were members of the banking community. And I know there'll be more about the great lives they led. But I just thought we should at least mention that we obviously are not only well aware, but how sad it is that this continues in this country. Yes, it's more than a podcast's worth of concern, but absolutely worth starting there. We thought we'd talk about today, and we've covered this in webinars, we've covered this in blogs, and obviously other podcasts, and that is the extension of money laundering-related and financial crime-related issues in the art and antiquities world. And as everybody knows that's in our audience, there are going to be eventually antiquities dealers and sellers and advisor regulation. We know the Treasury did a study to look at the art world, but something proverbial desks recently that I thought was worth mentioning. This is what is called the Art Basel and UBS Art Market Report. This is the report for 20, and a lot of it is obviously very specific and comprehensive about that industry. But the couple of things that jumped out at me relate to what we just mentioned. And that is, how does that industry, that community, think about the potential requirements of some sort under either the Bank Secrecy Act in our country or certainly relevant to Jason and others? And so there was a couple of things in there I just wanted to highlight. And they have a section in there where they talk about what the priorities are for that community, but also what the outlook is going forward. And quoting here, it says, increasing regulations and other barriers to the cross-border trade in art and antiquities, and they say includes mounting administrative costs and burdens, were seen as relevant to most dealers, 95% of them, and the majority of those were moderately or extremely concerned. And then they go into about half of the sample Mm -hmm. were also worried about what they call the growing burdens of due diligence and identification requirements, including what they're calling the Know Your Customer and AML regulations, as well as the protection of confidential information online and cyber security. What I found interesting about those concerns is obviously they are well aware that there's been active debate in the U.S. and elsewhere, and FATF was talking about this, of course, as well. But the notion that somehow this shouldn't be attached to their community is something that even our industry did decades ago. But I'll end with this thought, and I want to get your your comments. They said some dealers discussed the complexity of the regulations, such as import in Europe. Hey, you need export import licensing. Give me a break here. While many felt the key issue was the burden of red tape associated with regulations that small businesses were being increasingly forced to deal with. So they definitely want to focus on that, which is something that the art study looked at. They looked at, you have to be careful about how you craft something. And there's no indication the regulations for antiquities dealers or in the art market, if that eventually happens, is going to be the same regardless. And they have a quote here from one of the respondents which I wanted to highlight. They said that our businesses will not be sustainable in the future if staff is required to do what they're calling the administrative burden of AML or privacy laws with a government that's passing on its own administrative responsibilities to the art market. 
I take major umbrage with that statement because obviously the art market is close to sellers and buyers than the government. So I find that interesting that they're saying it's not our responsibility. Although, John, it does echo comments that we heard in our own industry many years ago about the idea that why are you trying to deputize the banks? Right. Yep. You're right. As an industry, we've definitely grown past that. But you and I were at many meetings back in the 80s and even into the early 90s where the opening comments were by bank folks was often a shortening session about being deputized. And then we'd get down to business and figure out how we were going to do what we had to do. I think that the other piece that seems to continue to be a background theme in the art market is the idea that the the many in the art market feel that confidentiality, who they represent in terms of buyers or sellers, and what pieces are moving, and even to some extent what prices are being paid, is something that they view the confidentiality of all of that is part of their business. And while on the one hand, it's nice to be able to have a private transaction if you're a buyer or seller, uh, provenance and where the money comes from and who you're dealing with, those are still things that in this day and age seem to be good business. There was no quote from anybody in this long study and in particular in this outlook section that talked about how they felt about being a potential tool for money launderers or other bad actors, which is, that's the other side of the conversation. And we hear the burden conversation regularly. We don't hear the other side where if you don't know who you're dealing with, is it okay if you're dealing with a drug lord or a terrorist or other bad actor? Yeah. And it also, and you're right about the banks. Obviously we were well aware of that. And that was something that it was a position that we lost pretty early on. And obviously after decades, I'm not saying we have embraced it, but certainly compliance professionals know what their roles are. A couple things in the study that also jumped out at me is they referenced the art study by the treasury, but I don't think they were at Gription. They say that in January, 2022, the treasury considered to what extent further rules might be required. That's true. They said it found little evidence of money laundering or other related activities in the art market, just suggesting that some are more vulnerable than others. That's actually not true. They found evidence of it, they found examples of it, but they said it was not going to be a priority. So that is a little bit of a misstatement. And then it goes on to say, the author says, the authority flagged in particular online marketplaces, social media platforms, and encrypted messaging services that sell art as well as a digital art market. So that's obviously true. And then I'll just end on this. They make the statement that because the Senate in the consideration of the, the ND last year did not include the enabler. That meant that, according to the author here, the Senate added further to America's reputation for light touch regulation, or at least lighter than in Europe. And they rejected the enablers bill because it would have extended these laws and regulations to dealers, galleries, advisors, auction houses, and museums. Yeah, that's not exactly what they did. They didn't include, I think a lot of that was because of the inclusion of the legal profession and investment advisors. But the bottom line is it does show that community is concerned about regulation. 
I think they need more information that they have the ability to publicly comment on whatever regulations get included and that it would not be the same as certainly financial institutions and others. But in addition to all of that, I know you flagged the FBI has long been involved in detecting, investigating and prosecuting art, counterfeiting and those sorts of things, but they come out with a new tool recently. Yes. For many years, the FBI has gained its National Stolen Art File. Sometimes the acronym you'll see is NSAF. And law enforcement agencies in the U.S. and globally contribute information about stolen art pieces of all kinds to that database. The FBI has launched an updated stolen art app for people's mobile phones that if they're buying art, or I suppose if you're a gallery owner and you're being asked to broker a transaction, you can actually search the database using an image of the piece taken with the camera on your phone, and it'll search the database to see whether the item has been reported stolen. So coming back to the conversation we had a moment ago, in some ways it's deputization, but More importantly, I think it is giving people a functional opportunity and process to really understand if they're dealing in stolen goods. As I think about small art galleries, someone came in with a piece and said, if you're buying art, I have this piece I'm looking to sell. Being able to research the provenance of all pieces of art is not simple. And so to have this ability to at least check whether it's been recognized as stolen seems to me to be a big step forward if people will adopt it and use it. And just going back, like you said, to what we've been talking about, the Antiquities Coalition has done a ton of work in this space, and they explain in great detail why it's important for sellers and buyers and advisors to know the source of whatever it is they're purchasing or selling. Don't leave it to us. We're certainly not experts in this space, but they are, and I think it's well worth your time. I would say, take a look at this report. Like I say, it's very specific to that industry as you would expect, but there are some interesting examples in there of the survey respondents' concerns and priorities going forward. We, the AML community, will eventually have to get up to speed on these issues if we're not already. And so looking at source material like this, I think is valuable. Yes. So a couple other quick things, John, I'll let you do the plug for AMLPF. So the AML Partnership Forum, April 26th to the 28th, we have dynamite content on everything from crypto issues, from law enforcement perspective, to financial technology firms and how they interact. But also we'll have regulators talking very specifically about their role in making sure that information gets to law enforcement and how they oversee that. We have a keynote from Catherine Chen, the president and CEO of Polaris. My good friend Tom Lippick, author and banking law expert, is going to be talking about a number of topics, and we're going to be giving out awards, private and public sector awards. It's not too late to sign up. It's D.C. if you're local. If you're not, there's still obviously seats available. So go to our website and take a look at amlpf.com, and the agenda is there with all the great content. And the next AML Right Source webinar is uh, Thursday, April 20th, and it's about tech-enabled managed services. So 
A number of our in-house experts are going to talk about what are managed services, how do they fit into your financial crime compliance program, and also how blending technology with um, outside services can make things more efficient and more effective for you. So you can sign up for that on the amlrightsource.com website. And just as we're recording this, a recent interview I did with Ryan Wallerstein, who publishes something called The Illicit Edge, which is a free publication with excellent information on money laundering, financial crime, sanctions, all sorts of issues. Sat down and chatted about that and his career to becoming publisher. He had time at the Treasury Department. He talks a bit about that. So that's also available on our website and you'll see it on LinkedIn as well. All right, John, have a good week. 